Section 12 of Herbals, Their Origin and Evolution, a chapter in the history of botany. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by K. Hand. Herbals, Their Origin and Evolution, a chapter in the history of botany by Agnes Arbor. Chapter 6 the evolution of plant classification in the earliest european works on natural history those of the aristotelian school we meet with an attempt to classify the different varieties of plants it was inevitable that the writers of this school should make such an attempt since no mind trained in greek philosophy could be content to leave a science in the condition of a mere chaos of isolated descriptions at first the most obvious distinction that of size was used as the chief criterion whereby to separate the different groups of the vegetable kingdom in the history of plants by theophrastus we find trees shrubs bushes and herbs treated as definite classes within which cultivated and wild plants are distinguished the other distinctions of lower value are made between evergreen and deciduous fruiting and fruitless and flowering and flowerless plants albertus magnus who kept alive in the middle ages the spirit of aristotelian botany was more advanced than theophrastus in his method of classification it is true that he divides the vegetable world into trees shrubs undershrubs bushes herbs and fungi but at the same time he points out that this is an arbitrary scheme since these groups cannot always be distinguished from one another and also because the same plant may belong to different classes at different periods of its life a study of the writings of albertus reveals the fact that he had in mind though he did not clearly state it a much more highly evolved system which may be diagrammatically represented as follows the modern equivalents of his different groups are shown in square brackets one leafless plants cryptograms in part two leafy plants phanerograms and certain cryptograms subsection one corticate plants monocotyledons subsection two tunicate plants dicotyledons a herbaceous b wooding the word tunicate in the above table is used for the plants which albertus described as growing ex legenius tunicus it seems clear from this expression that he realized that there was an anatomical distinction between dicotyledons and monocotyledons considering how much albertus had achieved it is somewhat curious that cesalpino who represented aristotelian botany in the sixteenth as albertus did in the thirteenth century should have produced so inadequate a system as his own contribution to the subject we owe to him one marked advance the recognition namely of the importance of the seed on the whole however his classification savors too much of having been thought out in the study and it suffers by comparison with other systems of about the same period such as those of de lobel and bauhin which were arrived at rather by instinct acting upon observation than by a definite and self-conscious intellectual effort cesalpino makes his main distinction on the old aristotelian plan between trees and shrubs on the one hand 
and undershrubs and herbs on the other he divides the first of these groups in two and the second into thirteen classes depending chiefly on seed and fruit characters very few of these classes really represent natural groups and the chief of all distinctions among flowering plants is that between dicotyledons and monocotyledons which was foreshadowed by albertus is almost lost to sight when we turn from the botanical philosophers to the herbalists proper we find an altogether different state of affairs the aristotelian botanists were conscious from the beginning of the philosophic necessity for some form of classification the medical botanists on the other hand were only interested in plants as individuals and were driven to classify them merely because some sort of arrangement was necessary for convenience in dealing with a large number of kinds the first materia medica that of dioscorides shows some attempt at order but the arrangement is seldom at all natural occasionally the author groups together plants which are nearly related as when he treats of a number of liabates or of umbellifers successively but this is rare pliny was not strictly speaking a medical botanist but at the same time he may be mentioned in this connection since his interest in plants was essentially utilitarian like theophrastus he begins his account of plants with the trees but his reason for so doing is profoundly different from that of the greek writer and illustrates the divergence between what we may call the anthropocentric and the scientific outlook upon the plant world theophrastus placed trees at the head of the vegetable kingdom because he considered their organization the highest and most completely expressive of plant nature pliny on the other hand began with trees because of their great value and importance to man as an example of his ideas of arrangement we may mention that he places the myrtle and laurel side by side because the laurel takes a corresponding place in triumphs to that accorded to the myrtle in ovations turning to the herbals themselves we find that the earliest show no trace of a natural grouping the plants being as a rule arranged alphabetically this is the case for instance in the latin and german herbarius the ortus sanitatis and their derivatives and even in the herbals of brunfels and of fuchs in the sixteenth century in box herbal on the other hand the plants are grouped as herbs shrubs and trees according to the classical scheme the author evidently made some effort within these classes to arrange them according to their relationships in the preface to the third edition he writes quote, i have placed together yet kept distinct all plants which are related and connected or otherwise resemble one another and are compared and have given up the former old rule or arrangement according to the abc which is seen in the old herbals for the arrangement of plants by the abc occasions much disparity and error End quote. although the larger classificatory divisions as now understood were not recognized by these early workers they had at least a dim understanding of the distinction between genera and species this dates back to theophrastus who showed by grouping together different species of oaks figs etc that he had some conception of a genus we owe to conrad gessner the first formulation of the idea that genera should be denoted by substantive names he was probably the earliest botanist who clearly expounded the distinction between a genus and a species in one of his letters he writes and we may hold this for certain that there are scarcely any plants that constitute a genus which may not be divided into two or more species 
the ancients describe one species of gentian i know of ten or more very little of gesner's botanical work was ever published and it was left to fabio colonna to put before the botanical world the true nature of genera he held the most enlightened views on the subject and in sixteen sixteen clearly stated in his ekphrasis that genera should not be based on similarities of leaf form since the affinities of plants are indicated not by the leaf but by the characteristic of the flower the receptacle and especially the seed he brought forward instances to show that previous authors had sometimes placed a plant in the wrong genus because they only attended to the leaves and ignored the structure of the flower in the writings of gaspard bauhin at the end of the sixteenth and the beginning of the seventeenth century the binary system of nomenclature is used with a high degree of consistency each species bearing a generic and specific name though sometimes a third or even a fourth descriptive word is added those extra words are not however really essential in the preface to phytopinax fifteen ninety six bauhin states that for the sake of clearness he has applied one name to each plant and also added some easily recognizable character the binomial method was foreshadowed at a very early date for in a fifteenth-century manuscript of the old herbal circa instans to which we have referred on page twenty four this system prevails to a remarkable extent when we turn to those general schemes of classification which were evolved by the herbalists of the sixteenth century we are at once struck by the great difference existing between the principles on which these schemes are based and those at which we have arrived at the present day to classify plants according to their uses and medicinal properties is obviously the first suggestion that arises when the universe is regarded from a simple anthropocentric standpoint in the greta herbal of fifteen twenty six we get a ludicrously clear example of this method applied to the special case of fungi fungi ben musherons there be two manners of them one manner is deadly and slayeth them that eateth of them and be called toadstools and the other doth not this account of the fungi occurs also in the earlier manuscript herbal circa instance mentioned in the last paragraph this theory of classification has been shown in more recent times to contain the germ of something more nearly approaching a natural system than one would imagine at first sight both linnaeus and de jesus have pointed out that related plants have similar properties and in eighteen o four a p de candol in his essay sur la propriete medicale des plantes comparé avec le forme extérieures et leur classification naturelle carried the argument much further he showed that in no less than twenty-one families of flowering plants the same medicinal properties were found throughout all the members of the order this is very remarkable when we remember that the state of knowledge at that time was such that de candole was obliged to dismiss a large number of orders with the words properties unknown quite recently the subject of the differentiation of groups of plants according to their chemistry has again come to the fore and in the future chemical characters will probably be numbered among the recognized criteria for use in elaborating schemes of classification 
in the history of botanical classification the first advance from the purely utilitarian standpoint was marked by the recognition of the fact that the structure and mode of life of the plants themselves are of importance in the work of writers such as dodens and de Alechamps, to take two typical examples we find the issues curiously confused by the working of three different principles side by side that is to say by the simultaneous insistence one on the habitat two on the virtues and three on the structure as affording clues to the systematic position of the plant in question the herbalist thus erects his scheme on a basis consisting of a confused medley of ecological medical and morphological principles an enumeration of the eighteen headings under which de Alechamps in fifteen eighty six described the vegetable kingdom so far as it was then known will show the perplexities which surrounded the first gropings after a natural system his headings may be translated as follows one of trees which grow wild in the woods two of fruits growing wild in thickets and shrubberies three of trees which are cultivated in pleasure gardens and orchards four of cereals and pulse and the plants which grow in the field with them five of garden herbs and pot herbs six of umbelliferous plants seven of plants with beautiful flowers eight of fragrant plants nine of plants growing in marshes ten of plants growing in rough rocky sandy and sunny places eleven of plants growing in shady wet marshy and fertile places twelve of plants growing by the sea and in the sea itself thirteen of climbing plants fourteen of thistles and all spiny and prickly plants fifteen of plants with bulbs and succulent and knotty roots sixteen of cathartic plants seventeen of poisonous plants eighteen of foreign plants among these eighteen groups the only ones which have any pretension to being natural are six umbellifers and fourteen thistles and these merely approximate roughly to related groups of genera among the umbellifers we meet with achelia and other genera which do not really belong in the order whilst with the thistles there are grouped other spiny plants such as astragalus tragacantha which in a natural system would occupy a place remote from the composites in spite of the fact that improved systems of classification to which we shall shortly refer were put forward in the sixteenth and early seventeenth centuries we find that as late as sixteen forty john parkinson in his well-known herbal divided all the plants then known into seventeen classes or tribes the sequence in which these classes were placed having in most cases no meaning at all a few of his tribes are natural but many are valueless as an expression of affinities as an example we may mention his third class venomous sleepy and hurtful plants and their counterpoisons and his seventeenth strange and outlandish plants in parkinson's classification we see botany reverting once more to the position of a mere handmaid to medicine in the first book of dodens pemptades fifteen eighty three the principles of botany are discussed 
the old aristotelian classification into trees shrubs undershrubs and herbs is accepted but with some reservations the author points out that an individual plant may owing to cultivation or from some other cause pass from one class into another he instances racinus which is an herbaceous annual with us but a tree in other countries the general scheme of classification which dodens propounded has much in common with that of de alichon which we have already outlined within the larger groups he shows a stronger perception of natural grouping than appears in his arrangement of the larger classes themselves he often grouped together genera which we now regard as members of the same natural order and species which we now look upon as belonging to a single genus for instance he brought together genera belonging respectively to the geranicacea hyperanicacea plantagenicacea cruciferae compositae etc in some cases however he was only partially successful as in the umbellaferae among which he described nigella love in a mist and a couple of saxifrages this example shows how little stress was laid on the flowers and fruit at this time from the point of view of classification the general habit and the shape of the leaves were the features that received the most attention resemblances and differences between the forms of the leaves alone must naturally appear to the botanist of the present day to be a very inadequate basis for a general system of classification nevertheless matthias de lobel worked out a scheme on these lines which had great merit and was a considerable advance on previous efforts he put forward his system in his sterpium adversaria fifteen seventy to seventy one and used it also in his later work it was thus published much earlier than the very primitive schemes of de alechon and dodens to which we have just referred the best point of his system is that by reason of their characteristic differences of leaf structure he distinguishes the classes now known to us as monocotyledons and dicotyledons he introduces a useful feature in the shape of a synoptic table of species which precedes each more or less natural group of plants the superiority of his classification to the other arrangements in the field at the time was immediately realized we have evidence of this in the fact that after his crudit bach was published plantin brought out an album of the wood engravings used in the book which although they had also appeared as illustrations to the works of dodens and de lecluse were now arranged as in the scheme put forward by de lobel according to their genus and mutual relationship there seems little doubt that de lobel made a more conscious effort than any of his predecessors to arrive at a natural classification and that he realized that such a classification would reveal a unity in all living beings in his preface to sterpium adversaria nova of fifteen seventy he writes for thus in an order than which nothing more beautiful exists in the heavens or in the mind of a wise man things which are far and widely different become as it were one thing de lobel's scheme is not expressed in the clear manner to which we have become accustomed in more modern systems because in common with other botanists of his time he did not as a rule give names to the groups which we now call orders or draw any sharp line of distinction between them de lobel's arrangement in spite of its good features had serious drawbacks the anomalous monocotyledons such as arum tamus aloe and ruscus are scattered among the dicotyledons 
while drosera the sundew appears among the ferns and so on similarities of leaf form which are now regarded merely as instances of homoplastic convergence are responsible for many curious groupings for instance in the crudabach we find the tway blade listera the may lily myanthium and the plantain plantago described in succession while in another part of the book various clovers trifolium wood sorrel oxalis and anemone hepatica are grouped together it is also not surprising that the marsh marigold cultha the water lilies nymphaea and nufar the manthium and frogbit hydrocharis should follow one another or that de lobel should have brought together the broom rape orobanchi the toothwort lathrora the bird's nest orchid neotia and a large number of fungi in this latter instance the author has really arrived at genuine biological though not morphological groups he has recognized on the one hand the marked uniformity of the type of leaf characteristic of swimming water plants and on the other hand he has observed the leaflessness and absence of green color which are negative features common to so many saprophytes and parasites the perception of natural affinities among plants which in the sixteenth and seventeenth centuries was gradually in a dim instinctive fashion arising in men's minds is perhaps best expressed in the work of gaspar bauhin especially in his pinox theatri botanici sixteen twenty three this work is divided into twelve books each book being further subdivided into sections comprehending a variable number of genera neither the books nor the sections have as a rule any general heading but there are certain exceptions for instance book two is called de bulbosis and a section of book four including eighteen genera is headed umbiliferae some of the sections represent truly natural groups book three section six for example consists of ten genera of compositae while book three section two includes six crucifers other sections contain plants of more than one family yet show a distinct feeling for relationship for instance book five section one includes solanum mandragora hyoscymus nicotiana papaver hypecum and argemon that is to say four genera from the solanchia followed by three from papaverica the common character which brings them together here is no doubt their narcotic property but although no definite line was drawn between the plants belonging to these two widely sundered families the order in which they are described shows that their distinctness was recognized some of bauhin's other groups however which like that just discussed are distinguished by their properties or in other words by their chemical features have no pretension to naturalness from a morphological standpoint this is the case with the group described in book eleven section three under the name of aromata which consists of a heterogeneous assemblage of genera belonging to different orders which are only connected by the fact that they all yield spices useful to man there is no doubt that on the whole bauhin was markedly successful in recognizing affinities within small cycles but he broke down on the broader question of the relationships between the groups of genera so constituted this is however hardly surprising when we remember how much difference of opinion exists among systematic botanists even today upon the subject of the relations of the orders to one another 
Like de Lobel, Bauhin seems to have believed in the general principle of a progression from the simpler to the more highly developed forms. His application of this principle led him to begin with the grasses and to conclude with the trees. The question as to which groups among the flowering plants, angiosperms, are to be considered as relatively primitive is still, at the present day, an open one, but it would be generally conceded that Bauhin's arrangement cannot be accepted. There is little doubt from the standpoint of modern botany that the grasses are a highly specialized group, while the tree habit has been adopted independently by many plants belonging to entirely different cycles of affinity, and thus, except in rare cases, it cannot be used as a criterion of relationship. On the subject of the relations of the cryptogams, flowerless plants, to the phanerogams, flowering plants, Bauhin had evidently no clear ideas, but such could hardly be hoped for in the state of knowledge of that time. We find, for instance, the ferns, mosses, corals, fungi, algae, the sundew, etc., sandwiched between some leguminosae and a section consisting chiefly of thistles. The classification put forward by the Bohemian botanist Zaluzianski in 1592, although in its general features no better than that of Dodens or of de Alechon, and certainly less satisfactory than that of de Lobel or the later scheme of Bauhin, is an improvement on all of these in one particular, namely that he begins with the fungi and deals next with the mosses. After the mosses, he describes the grasses, and his classification concludes with the trees. He was thus evidently attempting to pass from the simpler to the more complex, and his arrangement indicates that, unlike certain other botanists of his time, he looked upon the lower cryptogams as comparatively simple and primitive plants. He was not so clear-sighted, however, on the subject of the ferns, for he placed them with the umbilifere and some compositae, no doubt because he was influenced by the form of the leaf. It is curious that Cesalpino, who, as we have pointed out, had arrived at the very important principle that the seed and fruit characters were of major value in classification, yet put forward a system which was distinctly inferior to that of Gaspard Bauhin, although the latter appears to have been guided by no such general principles. Probably the reason for this is to be sought in the fact that no system of classification can represent natural affinities unless it takes into account the nature of the plant as a whole. It is true that, compared with the characters of the reproductive organs, the leaf, form, and habit, owing to their plasticity, have to be used with great discretion as systematic criteria, but nevertheless no system of classification can afford to ignore them entirely. Cesalpino based his scheme too exclusively upon seed characters, to the neglect even of the structure of the flower, and, curiously enough, although he laid so much stress upon the nature of the seed, he did not grasp the fundamental distinction between the embryos of the monocotyledons and the dicotyledons due to the possession of one and two seed leaves, respectively. The chief drawback of his scheme, however, was his failure to realize that living organisms are too complex to fall into a classification based on any one feature, important as that feature may prove to be when used in conjunction with other characters. Those herbalists, on the other hand, who attacked the problem of classification of plants without any preconceived academic theory, depended, one might almost say, on the glimmerings of common sense for the recognition of affinities. This was no doubt a dim and fitful illumination, but it was at least less partial than the narrow limelight beam of a rigid theory. End of chapter 6